0: Thank you, Dave, and thank you for uh, the privilege of uh, speaking here today. Well, um, I don't know about you, but as we we're having those two minutes of uh, remembrance, um, uh, m- my mind was actually drawn back to last Sunday when uh, Paul came to share with us, and um, he shared a clip, uh, a video clip, on the uh, screen of um, someone a pastor being whipped away I think it was in Malaysia being actually abducted and it's all uh, captured on camera no one knows what's happened to this pastor and um, as we were having those two minutes of remembrance I I, I was drawn to the wonderful freedom that we uh, know in this country don't we? We are so—we have no idea how blessed we are. I think um, when you see clips like that, and that's just one example of the uh, terrible things that are happening around the world to people, faithful followers of Jesus Christ, for doing nothing more than spreading the love of Jesus um, in the countries that God has called them to. And I was—I was thinking as we were having our heads were bowed during those two minutes, um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could walk, take full advantage? of this freedom that has been won for us by those uh, those men and women who served in the war, in the wars that have helped purchase that freedom for us. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could walk in the full freedom uh, that we have and enjoy in this nation? And um, that kind of leads me on to the, the topic that I believe God has called me to uh, speak on today. And um, uh, it might be coming up on the screen now as our first slide. Um, I have never done a PowerPoint in my life. That, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's a, it's not going to be particularly complicated uh, today in terms of the PowerPoint. But maybe that will be a help. I don't know. But uh, um, as we were going through this PowerPoint, um, as I was beginning to work it out, I saw there were two boxes. <laughs> and I thought, what do I put in the box underneath uh, the box at the top? So I knew I had a title, which is The Power of Identity. Um, but I wondered what to put as a kind of subtitle underneath. And uh, this phrase came to me, and I believe that this is the context in which God wants me to bring this message today. It's, a, it's building a culture to host revival. Who here wants revival? Who here wants to see Grimsby and Northeast Lincolnshire swept up in a move of the glory of God that is going to transform society and literally put us uh, in the news? you know, uh, cameras will be coming here, news teams will be coming here uh, because of the wonderful things that are happening here in Grimsby and the areas that surround us. Who, who, who hears up for that uh, to happen? Who here is praying for that to happen? Um, well, I believe that the church needs to be prepared and ready for when the flood comes in because the flood is coming. And that's the context that I want to speak in today. And it's the context of the power of our identity as children of God. Um, Our our first uh, scripture that's coming up uh, is slide two and three, I believe. And uh, it's 1 Peter, chapter two, uh, verses four to 12. And I'm just going to read from the screen behind me for us. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for but you You have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the ungodly that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Is that not a wonderful passage of Scripture. And I believe already the Holy Spirit is taking those words and uh, marinating them in our hearts and in our minds. But I, I, I wanted to focus in on, on verse 9 there, uh, which talks about us being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a special, God's special possession. Who here knows themselves that way today? Because you see, this is so important that we take hold of what God has said we are, who God says we are. Uh, Paul came to speak uh, last, last week and he spoke in the context uh, of uh, our words and how important our words are. There is the power of life and the power of death in the tongue. Uh, many words may have been spoken over your lives here today uh, that are not from the heart of God. Words are, that, are, that have been destructive, that have destroyed your thinking, destroyed your sense of uh, self and who you are. But I want you to hear today that it doesn't matter what words have been spoken over you today. What God says you are, who God says you are, is what stands and what is going to define um, your walk with him. Amen? Amen. Well, the people that uh, Peter was writing to here uh, are called sojourners and exiles. Um, In in other translations, they are called the dispersion. Um, He was actually called, uh, Peter, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, to minister to the Jewish people who had been scattered in different nations uh, around the world. And uh, particularly those Jewish people who had put their trust in Jesus Christ, uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, as their Messiah and as their Lord. And uh, so these people would have been very familiar with some of the words that he brought to them because they were already in writing. Who knows, there's a good portion of the Bible. What we know today as the Old Testament uh, was already in writing at the time that uh, Peter writes his letter here for us. And um, they would have been very familiar uh, with the words. And I want to focus on that particular uh, verse, verse 9, that talks of uh, God's people as a royal priesthood, as a special possession, as a chosen uh, nation. This isn't the first time they'd have seen these words. This isn't the first time they would have read these words. They would have already been familiar with them. And perhaps if we could flick to our next slide, uh, we'll see uh, where in Scripture they had first appeared. It's back in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6. And God says through Moses, these words, "'Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, "'then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. "'Although the whole earth is mine, "'you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation.'" And these are the words that Moses was called to bring to the Israelites. The context here is that the Israelite people are gathered at Mount Sinai. The law is about to be given. The first covenant, the old covenant, is about to be revealed. And God says something uh, impossible for man to achieve in his own strength. He says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you will have this identity. Did you notice the difference? Did you notice the difference between uh, how this verse is brought in the Old Covenant and how Peter brings it in the New Covenant? What does Peter write? Peter writes, you are my treasured possession, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And these would have been, this concept would have shocked his, those who are reading his words to the core of their Jewish souls because they would, have, they would have been thinking, no, this is impossible. How is it that we can be this now? The scripture that I'm used to reading says, if I obey all these commands, if I get it 100% right, uh, then I will have this identity. And now Peter writes to them, you have this identity and you have this identity now. What's the difference? I can hear a few people saying the key word. (laughs) Jesus is the difference, amen? The difference is that someone has come. God has come in the flesh. And he has lived as the second Adam. And he has fulfilled the perfect law of God with perfection in our place. We could never do it. It was always impossible for us to achieve that. God knew that. The law, uh, Paul writes in Galatians, is like a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It is the law can never save us. But the good news is that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. He obeyed his Father perfectly, although he was tested and tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And he went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sin demanded by the law of God. And so you today, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as the, uh, the Saviour, uh, you get this identity as a free gift. You are a chosen nation. You are a royal priesthood. You, you are in the royal family today. Did you know that? You are God's special possession. Wow, this should blow our minds. And you might be thinking, well, this was written to the Jewish people. This was written to the dispersion. What about me? I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jewish person. Maybe this scripture isn't for me. Well, first of all, the Bible tells us we are grafted into all the promises and covenants of Israel as Gentiles when we believe, as non-Jewish people, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. So that would be enough right there to know that this scripture is for us. But if you need any more proof, I want to take you to another scripture uh, when Paul writes as an apostle to the Gentiles, to the people of Ephesus who are Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. Uh, Perhaps we could come to that too. Yes, it's for us too. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, say every, spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Did you know that our our God, our heavenly Father, is one who lavishes grace on his children? I don't know about you, but I grew up in my early Christian walk thinking he was a kind of a stingy father, someone up there who's, who's got a tap and it just occasionally gives us a drip here and there of his grace, you know, but a lot of the time he's disappointed with us, he's angry with us, he's not really wanting to pour out this grace that he has stored up for us. But this scripture gives us a very different picture, amen, of our heavenly father and of what he wants to give us today. You see, I I am so grateful that Jesus died to get me to heaven one day. I'm so grateful for that. That's wonderful. I'm not going to hell because of what Jesus did for me on the cross and at the resurrection. And you are not going to hell if you've believed in Jesus and what he did for you at the cross and the resurrection. But who knows that he wants us to walk in this identity now, on this earth, so when that flood of new Christians comes through the doors of this church and into other churches in this town, we are going to be ready to minister this identity to them because God knows they need it. This identity is for us too. Um, renewing of the mind. It's been spoken of a lot uh, probably from this pulpit and another other uh, streams of uh, preaching that you might have heard too. And um, I believe this is one of the biggest things that the modern church, the Church of Jesus Christ in this day, needs to renew our minds to is our identity in Christ. Um, something that God's been speaking to me about recently is taking passages like this and turning them into a prayer of thanksgiving daily. Daily. Not just one day and then forgetting it as other, other things and distractions come along, but every day marinating in this sense of identity of how much God loves me and how I'm accepted in the beloved. And I believe he wants every Christian to know that too. Amen. You know, I, t- I turn into the prayer something like this. I thank you, Father, that you have chosen me in you before the creation of the world. I thank you that you have blessed me In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I thank you that you have chosen me to be holy and blameless in your sight. Who here believes that they are holy and blameless in God's sight here today? You see, because this can be a struggle. It can be difficult when we're going through a battle with sin and things that still aren't perfect in our lives. Who who knows they're not perfect and things aren't perfect in their lives here today. It can be a struggle to believe that God sees us this way. He sees us complete. He sees us in Christ. He sees us in the beloved. The Father sees us in his Son, the beloved, one and only Son of God by nature. And what does that make you then? What does that make me? It, what does that make us? Beloved, holy, and blameless. You have received His righteousness as a gift here today. This identity brings power for a lot of things in the Christian walk, and I need to move on quickly. <laughs> First of all, our power. This identity brings us power to live increasingly free from sin. Who here wants to live increasingly free from sin? The danger when you preach a message like this is that you can, uh, you, there is a danger that we can think that God is, that there is a sense of a license being given to us to uh, walk any way we want. Oh, it doesn't matter, I'm accepted, I'm in the kingdom, um, uh, it doesn't matter if I sin or not. Let me say very clearly, grace never empowers sin, grace always empowers righteousness. But you see, the writer to the Ephesians spent three whole chapters writing about our identity before he moved on to talking about how to walk it out. I believe, church, we need to get the order right. We need to walk out our identity knowing who we are in Christ. You know, anyone who thinks grace is a license to sin probably needs to uh, go away and reevaluate whether they're actually in Christ. But if you're in a... A journey of transformation like I am. Who here is in a journey of transformation where we're more and more being drawn away from the ways of sin and into the righteousness of God? Who wants to walk knowing who they are, that God loves them in the middle of that process, that they are God's special possession in the middle of that process? Who here wants that identity? You see, I think the alternative is awful. It's walking as an orphan, and I don't think God ever intended us uh, to battle sin as orphans. It's not going to end well. So, Secondly, our identity releases us to serve like a servant from a position of sonship. Identity gives us a power to serve. Don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, something that's often missed in this scripture is that Jesus knew he was in very nature God throughout the process of humbling himself to death on a cross. He never once didn't know his identity he didn't serve as a servant trying to earn the approval of his master he served as the one and only son of God he remembered that voice that had been spoken over him at his baptism this is my beloved son in him I am well pleased and we are called to know that we are children of God in the process of serving others Who knows it's a whole lot easier to serve someone else out of the rich resources of heaven when you know who you are as a son or a daughter of God rather than as an orphan. Um, Secondly, uh, our identity fuels our power to witness, holding out the word of life. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the universe. Amen. Who here wants to shine like a star in the universe in this generation, calling other sons and daughters into the kingdom through our witness? Live such good lives among the ungodly. This is going back to our primary passage here today, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I believe knowing our identity is crucial to having a power to witness. You see, when we go out to our colleagues, to in the workplace, when we go out to our uh, neighbors in the community, when we go out into our schools uh, or our colleges or wherever it may be, the communities that we live in, if we're gonna shine like stars in the universe, people are gonna be attracted because they see the love of God on our lives, amen? They're going to be attracted because they see that we know ourselves as beloved children of God. And it's going to help us to bring that witness because if our Heavenly Father is someone who has infinite resources, we can bring power to them. Who believes that God calls you to walk in power? Who believes that there's miracles inside you as a Christian because the Holy Spirit dwells inside you? Who here believes that there's signs and wonders, words of prophecy, words, uh, miracles and healings, words of knowledge that can speak things about people's lives that only God could know. It's going to reveal to them the truth of who God is. Hey, it's a whole lot easier for us to believe it if we know that we are loved and that God has made, our Heavenly Father has made all of these resources available to us. Amen. Our identity, finally, and I want to spend the last few minutes talking about this. Our identity delivers us from jealousy. And this is the culture that I want to speak about and conclude with today in terms of being ready for revival. There's a famous um, scripture, uh, the story of the prodigal son. Anyone familiar with that? Uh, even if you are not been a Christian for very long, you might have heard this parable. There's an extravagant father, to summarise, uh, extravagant in grace, who um, one of his, he has two sons. One of his sons comes to him and says, I want my share of the inheritance. And he takes this share of the inheritance and he spends it all on riotous living and uh, sinful living. And um, there comes a moment where he realises that he has nothing and he needs to go back to his father's house. And the father receives him with open arms, amen. Who here is glad that the father has received them with open arms, despite all the sin that's been in their lives. But there's a sad, sad character in this story that often gets overlooked, the older brother. And I just wanna bring the last few verses of the parable uh, to bring this out. The older brother became angry and refused to go in to the party that was being thrown for his brother. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. Now, I highlighted a verse there because I think it's crucial. What was the failure of this son who had been in the father's house all these years, remained in the father's house all these years? His failure was a loss of identity or perhaps even an identity that he'd never fully grasped. What did the father say to him? My son, you are always with me and everything. I have is yours. Somewhere along the way, he'd lost sight of that. Somewhere along the way, he had become an orphan, effectively a spiritual orphan, even though he lived in his father's house. And so, when the prodigal came home, when that person gave his life to Jesus and came home to the father's house, he was in a mode of competition. He was in a mode of uh, striving and uh, of unfairness and justice. I believe knowing our identity in Christ is crucial to celebrating with those who come home. When the flood come through these doors, and they will, are we gonna cheer them on? Are we gonna call out the gold in them? Are we gonna see what the Father has deposited in them even while they're going through the process of transformation, or are we gonna get jealous? Are we going to think that they're being blessed more than, we, than us? And that's not fair. If we knew who we were, we would know that we are our Father's children, that everything he has is ours. And if we were walking in that, it will be a pleasure to see the next generation of believers who come through these doors go further than we've ever gone before. See, this is the Father's heart. When Elisha came to Elijah, he asked for a double portion. And Elijah said, have a double portion. And maybe the band would like to come back just as I conclude, because I see the time is running out. Brothers and sisters, know who we are in Christ. Take time every day to marinate in the truths of our identity in him. You see, I want my generation of believers to be the floor, the ceiling for the floor of the next generation of believers. Does that make sense? I want the next generation of believers to go further than we have ever gone before. I want to be part of someone who cheers them onto that, not someone who stands outside sulking because they seem to be having more of a party than perhaps I've had in my Christian walk. Shall we pray? Father, I want to thank you that you have lavished your grace upon us. You are not a stingy father. You are a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And we are loved by you. That's who we are. That's who we are. Father, Help us to know it. Help us to live it. And help us to draw that flood of sons and daughters home to the Father's house. And help us to provide that culture that causes that revival to flourish and stay, not to fizzle out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.